everybody. Welcome to this Wednesday edition of the Logan Blackman Show. Very excited today because, is as you may know, this is our first show post-Super Bowl 55. And I must say, as a neutral who had no dog in this fight whatsoever, I thoroughly enjoyed this Super Bowl. I enjoyed a lot of the Super Bowl. I even enjoyed the halftime show. And I know it's kind of cool to hate on the halftime show. Based off the last few halftime shows we have been treated to as a viewing audience, that halftime show was easily one of the best ones we've seen in a while. That might be controversial because I know some of you. They've had a lot of very famous celebrities, famous musicians going to there. A lot of people enjoyed Shakira versus uh, Shakira and J-Lo. I know Bruno Mars was a very popular one. The Black Eyed Peas in 2010. Uh, Katy Perry with Left Shark doing the whole whatever the hell they were doing when they were dancing. This one was sweet. And I didn't think we would start off talking about the weekend's halftime performance, but I think it must be talked about for the sake of this show because I thoroughly enjoyed it. I watched it with two of my friends, Noah and Spencer. We watched the halftime show and we're like, wow, this is really cool. That first start, the start of it, the first start, the start of the show where he had the choir and then the violinists playing was sweet. I know I can see where people might not have liked the whole hallway thing when he was in the whole the little uh, yeah, lights place. I don't really know what you want to call that thing. The the mirror maze with all the other weekends dancing around. You know how he walked up to I think the Grammys. I could be wrong about that. Where he had the bandages all over his face. They dad all that on, and then everybody was moving around. I get why people might not have liked that. That was one of the weirder parts of the halftime show. But overall, that was a very good halftime show. I thoroughly enjoyed it. And he played some bangers, and he played some old stuff as well, which was very cool. And he put $6 million of his own money into this. And I like how they incorporated the stands more than most Super Bowl halftime shows do. I know Justin Timberlake did that when he performed up in Minnesota for the Eagles-Patriots Super Bowl. That was another very good, uh, for, if I remember correctly, it was a good halftime show. I watched it at William Penn. Uh, yeah, that's the only one I can remember of it being in the stands, but this one started in the stands and then went onto the field. And I think it would have been a lot cooler if there was an actual crowd there. Now, I know being at a game where a halftime show has taken place, the Bills-Cowboys game on Thanksgiving, uh, when was that, last year? was my first experience of that and thankfully only experience of a halftime show because I did not enjoy it. It was Ellie Golding was the halftime show and I was amazed by how much crowd noise they pumped into this thing and then how little anybody actually cared. I knew most people in the stands didn't really care about the halftime shows that were going on, but they did not care at all. We were sitting in a, in a press box. I know, big flex. I know. The Cowboys stadium were sitting in the box. Huge flex. And there was a speaker right near my head. And it, all the crowd noise was getting pumped in. And from what everybody said who was messaging me that day, said how terrible she sounded on TV, which we could barely hear her live. I couldn't tell if she was actually singing or if she was using the... She was... What do you call it? She was... Ad, not ad-libbing, she was, um, what is it called? Oh my god, I'm blanking right now. 
What is it? Lip syncing. Yeah, li- that. That's the word I was looking for. I, th- I I wasn't sure what was going on during that halftime performance. And I'm also surprised how much crowd noise AT&T Stadium pumps in. And how often they have to do the crowd pump-up things like defense on every single down. This isn't a basketball game where people might be, at, I don't know, dazed off because there's not a lot of stuff going on. You only need that on third down and fourth down if they decide to go for it. But my sister was there. It was her first NFL game. And she was like, is this what they always do? No, this isn't what they always do. This is a very rare occurrence here. You never see teams use these defense. Let's go get the crowd pumped up on first and second down. You only see it on third and fourth down. But, man, crazy stuff. Big crowd noise is annoying. I get why they do it. It just looked really stupid because of the fact there was only 20,000 people at the Super Bowl, and you know damn well they were not cheering that loud. There might have been some people standing up and getting excited for the Super Bowl halftime show that were there, but for the most part, <laughs> I could, I would almost guess most people are sitting down because people that are at the Super Bowl, most of them are not diehard weekend fans. There might be some some sort of weekend fans, but I don't know if they're diehard. That's the main reason they bought what, $100,000 tickets to go to a Super Bowl? Because you know those tickets were a lot more expensive. At least, I shouldn't say you know. I should expect, I expected them to be very expensive, a lot more expensive than what they usually are. But overall, I enjoyed the halftime show performance. I don't get why it got so much hate as it did. I thought it was very good. Uh, Yeah, I thought it was awesome, especially the beginning part of it. That was sweet. The orchestra, the violinists, that was awesome. I enjoyed every second of that. But the game itself, as a person, and more so as an Iowan, I enjoyed it a whole lot. And now, I know as a Buffalo Bills fan, I have every right to cheer for the Kansas City Chiefs. Not because, you know, they're the Chiefs and I don't have anything against the Buccaneers. It's because of Tom Brady. I know the Chiefs beat the Bills in the AFC Championship game, but... You know, you would be inclined to also not cheer against the person that has inflicted the most pain on your life as a Bills fan that is of the age, I don't know, 25 and younger. Even the parents of those kids have (laughs) inflicted the same thing. My dad, my entire life, said, man, I would never wish injuries on somebody, but man, I would not, it would not hurt my feelings if Tom Brady tore his ACL right now. That worked one time. Against Kansas City Chiefs, after that, <laughs> it didn't really work. Tom Brady came back and just kept on murdering the Bills every single time. But I enjoyed it as a person that was, I wouldn't say cheering for Tampa Bay. I, I would say I was leaning towards Tampa Bay because, as I said, in Iowan, I don't like dealing with Chiefs fans. Again, a lot of my best friends are Chiefs fans. A lot of people I went to William Penn with are Chiefs fans. So my social media is full of Chiefs fans. I don't dislike the people that are Chiefs fans. I dislike the team they cheer for, and that's a different thing. I hate how they cheer for them. It's just terrible. And oh my, I enjoyed every second, and you better bet your ass I have no sympathy for the Kansas City Chiefs players and fans watching that game. For the people that sat down and decide, you know what, I'm going to voice my opinion on social media, which is what social media is for. You're there to post your opinion. But not stupid opinions like the refs are giving this game. I wonder what side the refs are on. The Chiefs scored nine points 
No touchdowns. All field goals. Got absolutely brutalized the entire game. And still, we had to go on how Tom Brady is getting benefited by the referees in a Super Bowl. Really? Really? Because even if you don't want to call the fouls, if you're like, oh, that's such a touch, that's such a touchy foul, they're still fouls. You can call them either way. If they didn't get called, people are like, okay, they didn't get called. But since it benefited, God forbid, Tom Brady, oh, man, no, we can't be having that. Because all the penalties were not phantom calls. It wasn't like the Rams-Saints game where Nikel Roby Coleman absolutely lowered his head into the receiver before the ball even got there. It wasn't that. There was no plays like that. They were all holding calls or pass interference calls. Now, I could have sat there, and if they didn't get called, been like, okay, yeah, I understand why that wasn't called. But sitting there, they did get called. Okay, yeah, I understand why that was called. The Chiefs have done that the entire season, which is annoying, and it just was really fun to watch them actually get penalized for it. And that's what some people were also saying they were upset about because the Chiefs had been doing that the entire game. They've been playing cheap and dirty all year. Why are they getting called for it in the Super Bowl? I'm glad they got called for it in the Super Bowl. Well, it was fantastic stuff getting called for that in the Super Bowl. We had Tyron Matthew posting that thing on Twitter like, I had nothing to respect Tom Brady. I never had anything to say bad about Tom Brady. He was the one talking the most shit to Tom Brady. And then Tom Brady came up to say stuff back. And then he goes like, oh, I'm going to take the high road on this. Dude, you were the one that called him out. Tom Brady said, I'm going to come for you. I'm targeting you now. You were talking smack to him. He said, fine, I'm coming after you. He threw a touchdown on you. Made sure you knew he knew he was throwing a touchdown on you. You are not in the wrong. You are not in the right here, Tyron. And every single time the, the Buccaneers scored a touchdown, he was looking for some phantom push-off, which never happened. Clear holding on one of the touchdowns, and he's trying to look for a push-off like there was a clear and obvious push-off, which there wasn't. The Chiefs, I have no sympathy for the Kansas City Chiefs and their fans. Tyreek Hill has pieced people and backflipped in the end zones all year. Has gotten no penalties on it the entire year. I have, That was the best play of the Super Bowl. Antoine Winfield Jr., son of Bill's legend Antoine Winfield, piecing him after a turnover. Who gives a crap about the 15-yard penalty? That was probably the best feeling in the world. And then Tyreek Hill did the Shannon Sharp thing. I didn't realize he did this the first time the Tampa Bay Buccaneers and the Kansas City Chiefs played. He bowled the Shannon Sharp thing. He called, send the government, we are, cause send everybody, send the National Guard, because we are killing the Patriots. Don't worry, help is on the way. If you watch that clip, it's been on NFL Films. It's a very famous clip. I didn't know he did that. I was watching Undisputed this morning while I was just, well, right after I woke up, and they were talking about that. I wasn't aware Tyreek Hill did that, and I watched the game. I must have missed that part in the game, though. But Devin White, who kind of blew up in the playoffs, did that on the sideline. Like, the Chiefs had everything coming. Apparently, their off-the-line was talking crap to the Buccaneers' defense. Like, you had Eddie Wright as backup players to talk crap to Jason Pierre-Paul, Vitavea, Shaq Barrett, Ndamukong Sue, Vontae David... Devin White, like you had any right to talk to any of those players. And I get the Chiefs, like I said, the Chiefs had backup offensive linemen. Do I think the game would have been different if the Chiefs had their starters in? Sure. But to be honest, to be 100% here, they were their O-line had been the same 
throughout most of the season, minus Eric Fisher being out. Mitchell Schwartz has been out since week six. So this wasn't a new revelation that, oh my God, now that we're going to the Super Bowl, we don't have our right and left tackle. We already had our right tackle out. Now we lost Eric Fisher, which is an above average left tackle, I would say. One of the weirder drafts, that draft. You never see... I remember my friend Brady, who I've talked about before on the show, when Eric Fisher got drafted, he said, leave to the Chiefs to be the worst team in the league and use the pick on a Central Michigan left tackle. Chiefs fans and Eric Fisher's relationship have not been great over the years. I think that's been very clear to see. I think Eric Fisher is a average to above average left tackle. He's a good player. He's a starter. But he's not one of the better guys in the league. Mitchell Schwartz is like that. One of the, if not the best right tackle in the NFL. Maybe not this year. You could throw in, you know, Ryan Ramchek could be in there. Tristan Wirfs certainly should be involved in that conversation this year. There's some, uh, man, I loved it. I loved every second of that game. Watching the Chiefs just complain about everything. Man, it sucks, doesn't it? I feel, I did feel bad for Patrick Mahomes. He's like the only likable person on that freaking team. And he played his heart out. I'll give him 100% credit on that. His stats won't show that he... His stats look like he played absolutely horrific. The receivers dropped a lot of passes. Obviously, the O-line was hurt, and they couldn't handle the Buccaneers' pass rush. But the Chiefs' play calling didn't help either. They ran five-man protections, like, 90% of their plays. What did you think was going to happen? Like, I get your mindset of, we're going to stick with what got us here, Okay, this is the Super Bowl. you got to make in-game adjustments. From what's last game, this is a different game than the last time these two teams played. The Chiefs exploded in the first quarter, and everyone's like, oh, the Chiefs just blew out their bu- Washington, uh, the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But it wasn't. It was like a three-point game or something like that. The Buccaneers used that as motivation. Chiefs talk so much crap, get away with so much shit, <laughs> and then complain about it when they're getting called out for it. I became a Buccaneers fan on Sunday. I went in as a neutral saying quietly, well, not really quietly, I hope the Bucs win because I can't, I don't think I can handle two Super Bowls in a row by the Kansas City Chiefs. And guess, oh, it made me so happy to see Tom Brady get his seventh Super Bowl. Now he has more Super Bowls than any team in the NFL. Seven out of ten. He's won, a set, he's won 70% of the Super Bowls he's in. The greatest football player of all time. I don't know why that was debated going into this game, and then now people are like, oh, now he's the GOAT. What, what would, you, would you need to get up to this point? He has the same number of Super Bowls as two NFL franchises. What do you mean he's the GOAT now that he has seven? And you, what, who was the GOAT before that? Because you never see the people saying who were the GOAT before Tom Brady was before he won his seventh Super Bowl. You don't really see that that often. It's just like, okay, now he's the GOAT. Who was it before? Please don't tell me you said Peyton Manning. I love Peyton Manning. I think he's a top five quarterback of all time. He's not the greatest quarterback of all time. I get the five MVPs thing. I don't really care. Tom Brady is undoubtedly the greatest quarterback of all time. Okay, case closed. I, I said this was case closed after he beat the Atlanta Falcons. But people are still talking about how he's not the GOAT yet. And then he lost to the Eagles. And then it was like, okay, we'll see. He's not the GOAT. But then he's won two Super Bowls since then. Like, good Lord. I don't know what Tom Brady needs to do 
Tom's the GOAT. I'm not saying all of the credit for the Patriots dynasty should go on him, but a vast majority of it <laughs> definitely should go his way. Because you remember when Bill Belichick, he didn't want to trade Jimmy Garoppolo. He wanted to get rid of Tom Brady. He wanted Jimmy Garoppolo to be the starting quarterback of the Patriots. So he got the first trade offer and sent him on his way to San Francisco. Robert Kraft wanted to keep Brady. Bill Belichick wanted to keep Garoppolo. Kraft said we're keeping Brady. Belichick, as the GM, traded away Jimmy G. Tom went down south eventually and won a Super Bowl in his first year. I didn't think it would be this easy for Tampa Bay to adjust this quickly. I thought that Tom would install a winning mindset down there. The defense at the start of the season, going I guess at least going into the season, was questionable to say the least. But their young players that they had stepped up. Every player they have, their best players, minus Ndamukong and Sue, they drafted. And Shaq Barrett got it from Denver. You got Vitavea was drafted. Devin White was drafted. Uh, Levante David was drafted. Sean Murphy Bunting was drafted. Antoine Winfield Jr. was drafted. There's even more players that were drafted. Their other starting corners were drafted. Like, they drafted people. They didn't just get people in free agency. Now, they did get some people in free agency, people that wanted to ring chase because Tom Brady was down there, and Leonard Fournette, Rob Gronkowski, Antonio Brown. Big signings there. All of them scored a touchdown in the Super Bowl, which is crazy. Dad to Mike Evans, Chris Godwin, O.J. Howard, Cameron Brait. Like, good Lord. I thought it would be a 9-7 season, 9-7 to 10-6 season, which they finished with 11 wins, so it wasn't far off with the regular season prediction. But I thought, I didn't think Super Bowl. I didn't really think that at the start of the season. I kind of was like, let's hold off on it a little bit. Nope, that was wrong. Shouldn't have done that. I've watched Tom Brady my entire freaking life. I've always told people, don't doubt Tom Brady. Tom Brady gave that look against the Chiefs because they were trying. To, they were talking to Tom Brady. What is? What have we learned in Tom Brady's twenty-something years in the NFL? What have we learned not to do? That is talk crap to Tom Brady. What did the Chiefs do? A lot. Talk crap to Tom Brady. And what happened? They got their asses handed to them by Tom Brady and their Buccaneers defense. And Warren Sapp said this best. And I know the Buccaneers defense played off, played awesome this game. Defense will give you a chance. The offense has to win the championship. Like the defense wins championship adage. Warren Sapp, one of the most legendary, one of the greatest defensive tackles of all time, played for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers, won a Super Bowl against the Raiders. The defense will give you a chance. Your offense still needs to score. Okay? The Buccaneers' offense scored 31 points on the Chiefs' defense. Chiefs' offense never adjusted. Clyde Edwards-Alaire, like the first play of the second half, had a 20-yard run. I think they ran it three more times the rest of the game with him. You didn't run any underneath routes. You ran a bunch of post routes trying to just score 20 points on one pass. It didn't work. It was like... Watching Josh Allen play, but the difference is Patrick Mahomes not getting slated like Josh Allen. That looked like the Bills-Chiefs game two weeks ago where Josh Allen's running around taking these huge losses, trying to make plays happen when there's nothing there. Where's the hate towards Patrick Mahomes in that regard? That's the annoying part with all of this. 
And I'm not saying Josh Allen's better. I know in the rank postseason rankings for quarterbacks, I did say Josh Allen is better for this season. I think Patrick Mahomes is the best quarterback in the NFL. Charles Barkley said this best. He won an MVP that didn't make him better than Michael Jordan. Josh Allen finished with four MVP votes to Patrick Mahomes, too. But I'd still say Patrick Mahomes is the better quarterback. Don't get me wrong here. He's had one of the greatest. If, no, he's had the greatest start to a career in NFL history. No doubt about it. But Josh and Patrick do the same things. They're very similar quarterbacks. Very similar. So when I watched Patrick Mahomes take those huge sacks and huge losses, try to make plays happen, I sat there and went, "Where? What if Josh Allen did that? Twitter's blowing up saying how trash he is. But Patrick Mahomes doing it, and, oh, he's trying so hard for his team. There's a, a picture of Patrick Mahomes throwing a sidearm pass. He's, like, almost horizontal. Josh Allen did the same thing. Like, they do similar things. It's ridiculous how much praise we give Patrick Mahomes for the littlest things, and then when Josh Allen does the same things, it's like, oh, he does this similar to Patrick Mahomes. What if he does some of the things better? Patrick Mahomes and Josh, listening to Patrick Mahomes' post-game press conference, it sounded like I was listening to a Josh Allen post-game press conference. I can't take the big play every time. I got to stop taking these huge sacks. That's exactly what Josh Allen's been saying. But we didn't see any hate towards Patrick Mahomes in that. No, he played his heart out in this game. We're not going to talk about how the Bills' offensive line against the Kansas City Chiefs just pulled a bunch of lookout blocks and said, good luck, Josh, when he backpedaled. Yeah, I didn't, I didn't hear it. I didn't hear one single word from anybody this whole, the past couple days, because it's Wednesday. Right, well, for me, it's Tuesday, but the show's going out Wednesday. I haven't done a show since last Friday. Obviously, I was up in Cedar Falls. We were doing stuff this weekend, recorded a song, so that should be coming towards you pretty soon. So look out, or not pretty soon, probably a couple weeks from now, but stay tuned for that. Should be very fun. Uh, watched Super Bowl, didn't have all my stuff with me because I got a lot more stuff than I used to. So it was a lot harder to bring everything up. So I was like, I'll just save it for Wednesday. But man, I wanted to talk about that when I watched that Super Bowl. That's all I wanted. I was all I was thinking about. There was a tweet that game even earlier, too, from Evan Zinger. He said, Rule 716, which is the Buffalo area code. If a QB throws a bad pass, assume there's a Bills fan going, but if Josh Allen did it, somewhere. That was me the entire game. No one, Spencer, can attest to that. I said that about a thousand times during the game. And then rule of 558. If Allen makes a great play, always describe it with, yeah, but. And it's so stupid. I hate that. I don't get the whole Josh Allen hate thing. It bothers me. Because literally watching Josh and Patrick Mahomes play, it's like, Patrick Mahomes is obviously a more refined version of Josh Allen, but they do the same things. It's not like Patrick Mahomes is miles better than Josh Allen. We've talked about this before. There's not a Mount Everest-sized gap between Josh Allen and Patrick Mahomes. It's not that big. And if Josh Allen continues on this trajectory of where he's going now, there might be a point where Josh Allen surpasses Patrick Mahomes, and see, I said might. I'm not saying he will, but he might. Because this is the greatest uh, improvement from one season to the next in NFL history. 
I don't even care. You'd never see a player jump 10% in completion percentage without checking it down. Cam Newton did that in Carolina, but he checked down to Christian McCaffrey the entire time. Josh Allen has like one of the lowest checkdowns, if not the lowest checkdown rate in the NFL. And he's still doing that. That is ridiculous. But man, yeah, I have no I have no sympathy for the Chiefs. I have somewhat sympathy for Patrick Mahomes because he looked like Josh Allen out there, but I also have no sympathy for him because Josh Allen doesn't get that kind of, oh, he played so hard. It's, see, I told you he's not a good quarterback. That's exactly what we hear every single time that happens. It's all I heard after, or not heard, saw on social media after the game. Because most normal people, most people that know football, can see that Josh Allen is a very, very talented and very good quarterback. But people want to go for, I oh, sucks, without actually you know, pointing out anything. I saw a guy on Twitter talking about how Tyrod Taylor never had Dable Diggs or Cole Beasley and didn't have an, quote, exceptional offensive line. The Bills' offensive line this year might have been in the top 20. Might. I don't know if it was. They had some good players this year. They're not. The, if you look at pass protection, they're decent at best. Run run offense. They're one of the worst pass rush blocking teams in the NFL. Mitch Morse at center is a top five center in pass protection. I think he's number thirty or thirty two in run blocking. Like the Bills O line is not exceptional by any stretch of the imagination. The Colts O line is exceptional. The Browns O line is exceptional. The Bills O-line is not exceptional. And Josh Allen had the same offensive line as Tyrod Taylor. Actually, a lot worse offensive line than Tyrod Taylor. He didn't have Eric Wood there. Which would have greatly helped out Josh Allen. One of the most legendary players of the 2000s era of Buffalo Bills football. Not saying legendary player in Bills history, but as far as the 2000s go, 2010s, yeah, we'll put up up there with those versions of legends. Because there's a difference in, like, Bill's legends and, like, era legends, if you know what I mean. Like, Stevie Johnson, he's a era legend. He's not a Bill's legend, like that stupid Pepsi commercial says. But, yeah, no sympathy for the Kansas City Chiefs. Congratulations to the Buccaneers. Very fun Super Bowl to watch. Enjoyed the halftime show. show. Enjoyed everything. Enjoyed every second of that Super Bowl. Congratulations to Tom Brady on getting Super Bowl number seven, unquestioned goat. I think he was unquestioned before, but people still like to, you know, stir the pot a little bit and try to say he's not, or this was it, this was what I needed to know he was the goat, but whatever. And I've said this before, top five quarterbacks of all time goes Brady, Montana, Manning, and then probably Marino because of what he did transforming the NFL. I know he didn't win a Super Bowl, but what he did transforming the NFL is very legendary stuff. And then number five, you can go Elway, Rodgers, uh, Steve Young, Favre, any of those guys. Maybe there's a guy, Unitas, Otto Graham. I mean, there's players I could probably mention at number five, but the top three to four is locked. Drew Brees, another one, that is locked in. The top three to four. Three is locked. No, one, two, three is locked. I don't. No one will convince me otherwise that that's not the top three. Four. You could convince me otherwise if Dan Marino's there. I think he should be a lock at four. And then five, any of like five players. Okay? That's my top five greatest quarterbacks 
of all time. And I loved this tweet. I saw this on Instagram. It was like, it was it's, if this playoff season taught us anything, it's the fact that more talented QBs can't win against great defense. Defense has always been and always will win championships. Nah. I mean, sometimes, yeah, the Ravens defense of 2000, Buccaneers defense, the Bears 85 defense. Yeah. Warren Sapp, I get again, I'll say it again. Defense will give you a chance. Offense will win you the championship. Offense will win you the game. Defense will give you a chance. Offense will win you the game. And let's not forget that, you know, Packers defense did get three interceptions against Tom Brady, and Packers scored seven points off said turnovers. And, you know, you know what happened. So I'm not really going to beat that dead horse anymore. And then... People talking about, I think on the comment section right below it, it was like Tom Brady went from a terrible defense uh, and left. Oh, yeah. Defenses win championships, always has been, always will. Congrats to Brady on leaving a poor defense and joining an elite one. The Patriots had the number one defense in the league last year and lost in the first round of the playoffs. So don't chat to me about Tom Brady left a garbage defense for an elite one. The Patriots had the number one defense last year. And Tom Brady still left. And then a lot of people left. And a lot of people opted out. Which is why the Patriots defense dipped so far this year. A lot of people got injured. The Patriots are hit by more by opt-outs and free agents losses and injuries more than any team in the NFL. And I don't want to make excuses for the Patriots, but it's true. They were the number one overall defense last year. They had the defensive player of the year in Stephon Gilmore last year. Jamie Collins was also in the running for that. Like, the... I know we like to, it's all about Riesel, what have you done for the lately thing, and the defense played very well for the Buccaneers in this game, but the Buccan, the Patriots had the number one defense in the NFL last year, lost the first round. The Bills had the number two defense in the, first, in the playoffs last year, lost in the first round. The Baltimore Ravens had the third best defense in the league last year, lost in their first playoff game. The Chicago Bears had the fourth best defense, lost. Didn't even make the playoffs. <laughs> like, I, I, ah, uh, my goodness. It's just funny how we can randomly decide when and where stuff fits. The, the 49ers had a top five defense. They lost to the Chiefs, who did not have a top five defense. So, yeah, you can chat to me about how defense wins championships. No, defense will give you the chance, offense will win you it. The 49ers did win their deep, win the Super Bowl last year because their defense. Oh wait, they didn't even win it. With the top three, top five defense in the league, none of them won anything. Bills, Patriots lost their first playoff game. The Ravens lost their first playoff game. The Bears didn't even make the playoffs. The 49ers lost in the Super Bowl. <laughs> didn't even. God, oh my God, I love it. It's so funny. It's amazing. The Steelers didn't make the playoffs. And they had a top ten defense. Like you can't make this stuff up. But yeah, thank you, Tom Brady. Congrats on leaving a bad defense for an elite one. You really showed us this year. (laughs) Oh my God. It's just funny. We're laughing here. And we're just laughing. I, oh my God. I love these Instagram accounts at times. Instagram accounts, football Instagram accounts can be the funniest place on earth. We had that Stay Woke Wednesday thing during uh, COVID's main thing, like when there was no sports. That was awesome. That's another situation of that. Oh, notice how 
these teams didn't go very far. You talented QBs don't win championships because the defense always wins championships. Shut the hell up, dude. You really just don't want to check anything and maybe go like, wow, the top three defenses in the league last year all lost their first playoff game. Wow. To the Titans and Texans. Wow. That's crazy. Man. If only Tom Brady had a good defense back then and it didn't matter that he had no weapons to throw to. Man. If only the Patriots had an elite defense last year. That would have really solved a lot of problems for the Patriots. Man, I love I love football Instagram. It is so funny. <laughs> I love it. It is fantastic. It's the best thing in the history of the world. Because, you know, we who cares about facts and checking stuff? Because, no, because it's funny. Because Tom Brady's only a system quarterback. That's another word I hate. That's my least favorite word in all sports, system quarterback. The system don't work unless you – you think the Ravens, quote-unquote, system would work if Joe Flacco was still the quarterback and they were running the same things? No. The system only works if you have your quarterback. Lamar Jackson is the system. Tom Brady proved he was the system in New England. The people want to say Patrick Mahomes is the system quarterback. Alex Smith went 9-7 and seven with this same team. They lost to the playoffs to the freaking Titans again. No disrespect to the Titans. They've been a very good team. But not then with Mariota. They're a lot more dangerous team now with Ryan Tannehill at quarterback. The Chiefs lost. They went 9-7. and seven. The next year, Patrick Mahomes wins the MVP, and they go to the AFC Championship game. They had a history of losing in the playoffs at home. And then Patrick Mahomes, the system quarterback, comes in. It's ridiculous. I don't get it. <laughs> Andy Reid lost, what, four championship games, three or four championship games. He went three straight championship games in the NFC with the Eagles, lost two of them, and lost the Super Bowl to the Patriots. He's been to three straight AFC championship games with the Chiefs, lost one of them, and then went to the Super Bowl in the other two. I think Patrick Holmes is a big reason why, and he's won one Super Bowl out of that thing too. So... Is the dumbest phrase in sports. System quarterback is the dumbest phrase of all time. I will hate that phrase till the day I die. Is the dumbest phrase in football. The system don't work unless you've got the quarterback. Brady was the system. Mahomes is the system. Lamar Jackson is the system. You saw how great the Patriots were without Tom Brady. They won 11 games last year with a very similar offensive sporting cast. I'm not saying it's the exact same because, again, obviously opt-outs, injuries, stuff like that. On the offensive side of the ball anyways. But, man, I love the Tom Brady stuff. It's so funny. He beat up on the Bills my entire life, and I have nothing but respect for Tom Brady. It's just crazy how that stuff works out. I'm defending Tom Brady. Goodness gracious. It's like Stockholm Syndrome or something. Like I'm, He's hurt me so much that now I love him and defend him at all costs. Is that what we're going through right now? I think that's exactly what I'm going through. It's a very weird circumstance right now. Goodness gracious. I don't know if I really like it that much. Man. But speaking of Marcus Mariota, 
little for the little bit that we did when talking about him and the Kansas City Chiefs beating the Chiefs in the playoffs. The Raiders are receiving legit trade interest for QB Marcus Mariota. Apparently, this was kind of a shock or surprise, not a shock to me, but not really because he obviously requested the trade month a couple months ago. Was Carson Wentz getting traded from Philly? Now we didn't talk about that the last show. I don't think we talked about it the last show. Maybe we did. I don't really remember. But my thinking was with the Seriani hire is that the Eagles were hiring a Frank Wright disciple to help fix Carson Wentz. That looked like the offseason goal was to fix Carson Wentz. You got a lot of money pumped into him. The dead cap situation, if and when he gets traded, is ridiculous. So good luck to the Eagles on fixing that. And I was talking to my dad about this earlier. In 2016 or 2017, whatever the year the Eagles won the Super Bowl, it was like, man, this is a very well-run organization. And then now they're one of the biggest laughing stocks in the NFL. Crazy how things switch up like that. Carson Wentz was an MVP candidate. He was going to win the MVP before he tore his ACL against the Rams. And then now he just led the league in interceptions. It was probably the worst quarterback in the NFL last year. And apparently the Chicago Bears are growing impatient with the Philadelphia Eagles because of the fact the Eagles are overvaluing him. And I'm not very surprised on that. Because um, it's the Eagles, and Carson Wentz did once upon a time almost win an MVP, probably should have won an MVP. Last year put up a very impressive year, carried or dragged the Eagles into the playoffs, however you want to look at it. Threw for 4,000 yards and have a single receiver over, what, 700 yards or something like that? Some ridiculous stat. I don't remember what it was. But this year, you're not – apparently the Eagles won a Stafford trade. Okay, Stafford wasn't the greatest quarterback of all time this year. He's having a much better year last year before he got hurt. This year, he's having a good year for his for Stafford standards, but you're not going to get anywhere close or should get anything like what you're not going to get two firsts in a starting quarterback for Carson Wentz in a third. That's not going to happen here. Cuz the teams that you're talking about trading him to, the Colts and Bears, what, are the Colts going to trade Jacob Eason? Are the Bears, I mean, the Bears are going to trade Nick Foles because, you know, that whole relationship with Philly, Nick Foles and Philly. But the Eagles are extremely overvaluing Carson Wentz. And if they're not careful, they ain't going to be able to trade him. And then you got a very messy situation there. Now, I thought it'd get all sorted out because I didn't end up eventually, like when Nick Sirianni got hired, like I said, thought they were going to fix, try to fix Carson Wentz. Obviously, that's not happening anymore. They're not doing that. They're going to trade him. But if you can't trade him, and then you've got the whole situation with Jalen Hurts to deal with, where do you think he's the franchise quarterback or not? Maybe that's the issue they have here. They don't know if he's the franchise guy, and they don't know what to do with the sixth pick. They want extra first-round picks to make sure they get that shot. But the team that trades for him is not going to be thinking, man, we're going to be up near the top 10 because we're trading for Carson Wentz, former MVP, near MVP, I guess. But, man, the Eagles, <laughs> it's funny. And the Bears, I remember seeing this earlier this offseason, or not, I guess not offseason because the season just ended, which is sad, but the Bears are going to be aggressive in the quarterback hunt, and that was just like, wow, they're just going to sign Trubisky again or go after Chad Henney if he started against the Bills. But now, my gut tells me that the Bears will probably trade for someone like Marcus Mariota. They go all this top season going like, oh, we're going to be aggressive for quarterbacks, and then end up with Marcus Mariota. 
I like Marcus Mariota, but I'm not going to be aggressive trying to get Marcus Mariota to become my starting quarterback. I'm sorry. I'm not going to be aggressive to get Marcus Mariota. Like him. One of my favorite college football players of all time. But, nah, I'm not trading for the NFL version of Marcus Mariota or being aggressive in getting Mariota. But, man, Carson, got to get him out of Philly. I don't know where he's going to go. Bears look like the most the most the team that looked like they had the most interest. I think the Colts make the most sense. Obviously, the Frank Wright connection, the cat space that they have, that's going to be an obvious fit there. Offensive lines and upgrade. Uh, well, at certain spots, the offensive lines and upgrade. It's close. It's a lot close. I know Carson Wentz got hit a lot last year, but the offensive line was injured and they were rotating a lot of pieces. And he was trying to play hero ball the entire year, essentially, which hurt him a lot statistically with the sack numbers and the interception numbers. But the Eagles O-line, when healthy, is a good O-line. And don't, don't get us wrong here, but the Colts is obviously an upgrade. Weapons-wise, not even close. Even if T.Y. Hilt doesn't resign, it's not even close. They're thinking about trading Zach Ertz as well. So the Eagles are just a freaking mess. I don't know what they're going to do. Uh, Nick Sirianni, I don't know if he knows what he's going to do. I... It's a weird situation in Philadelphia. I don't envy it at all. I like Carson Wentz. Really like Carson Wentz. I hope wherever he goes next, he fixes himself, I guess. I think the logical spot is obviously with Frank Reich, because he almost won an MVP with him as the OC and technically won a Super Bowl. But, yeah, he got the Phil Simms Super Bowl, (laughs) where... Uh, yeah, your backup won the Super Bowl. Jeff Hosteller for Phil Sims, and then it's Nick Foles for Carson Wentz. Where will he go? I don't know. I think if he goes to the Bears, Sam Darnold is destined to go to the Colts. I think that's a logical fit in there as well. It'd be kind of funny because the Jets traded up with the Colts to select Sam Darnold, and then he winds up playing for the Colts. But. I think O-line-wise, quarterback coach, or coach-wise, I think that fits very well as well, especially since he compared him to Carson Wentz. Similar style body, similar play style. And the two both need to be fixed this offseason. So if Carson Wentz goes to the Bears, I think it's pretty much a nailed-in lock that Sam Darnold goes to the Colts. The Colts are training for a quarterback. The only quarterback reportedly they're interested in in this draft class is Justin Fields. And I don't think they'll be within striking distance to get Justin Fields unless they get a big trade up in the draft, which could happen. But you're picking 21st right now. The Bills, when they got Josh Allen, had to trade up from 21 to 12, then to 7, or to 13, whatever. Trade up with the Buccaneers, who selected Vitavea, as we as we previously talked about. He was a big comeback for the Buccaneers this, uh, when they came back against the Packers. That was a big, big-time get for the Green Bay Packers or for the Tampa Bay Buccaneers against the Green Bay Packers. So maybe they move up twice, because moving from 21 up to, say, like, I don't know, who would trade? The Dolphins might trade, the Lions might trade, the Falcons might trade. Uh, Yeah, you're going to have to move up a lot of picks. The Colts got that in abundance, so maybe they're cool with that. Or maybe they believe in Jacob Eason and want to re-sign Jacoby Brissett. I don't know what they're going to do. But if the Bears are aggressive... They would move for Carson Wentz, even though this year, for judging off this year alone, I don't know how much of an upgrade it is on Mitchell Trubisky, which I never thought I'd say a few years ago. That, man, I don't know if Carson Wentz really is an upgrade on Mitch Trubisky. That is crazy thought. That is a crazy, that is something crazy to think about. But based off this year alone, I don't know if it is an upgrade. 
unless the Bears are that desperate to get rid of Mitchell Trubisky, then fair play. But, man, this is going to be crazy. And then you got Deshaun Watson's situation. The Texans are reportedly taking calls and just ignoring them, not taking anything on Deshaun Watson, which is ridiculous, kind of crazy to think about. How Carson Wentz requests to trade, the Eagles are trading him. And now Deshaun Watson requests to trade, the Texans won't trade him. Even though it would greatly benefit the Texans a lot more than the Eagles trading Carson Wentz. I know Deshaun Watson's a lot better quarterback than Carson, but the Texans could get a lot for Deshaun Watson. That would help them out for their future. Now I know you might not get, the chances of you getting another Deshaun Watson are very slim, but you can hope. And you get a lot of picks for somebody you can try to rebuild a roster or attempt to or trade for Sam Darnold or something. Watch like Carson Wentz and Deshaun Watson get traded. Like swap deal. Deshaun to Philly and Carson to Houston. That'd be weird. But man, why why do some why I don't get it. I don't know why we blasted Deshaun Watson with a trade rumor or trade request when his situation's a whole lot worse than Carson Wentz situation in Philly. It's confusing to me, to say the least. But, hey, Carson Wentz got his trade uh, request honored, it seems. I hope Deshaun gets the same. I just hope Deshaun goes to somewhere like San Francisco and not the AFC East because that would greatly hurt my feelings. And I I just don't want Deshaun playing in the AFC East. I just like him out of the AFC, really. As long as Deshaun doesn't need to play the Bills, I'll be happy. Once or twice a year. He can play him once a year in the regular season and then meet in the Super Bowl. I don't want to play him in the playoffs. I've already had that thing happen to me. I don't want that. Russell Wilson is another quarterback that could possibly get traded. Doubt that will happen. But he was on Dan Patrick today. Dan Patrick was fishing like crazy. My dad and I listened to that entire interview. He was fishing for answers, trying to get Russell Wilson to slip up on something. And then Bleach Report, being Bleach Report, Took a quote out of context and made it seem like Russell Wilson was very angry about a situation. Russell Wilson could not have sounded more normal in this interview. Didn't say anything bad about the Seahawks or anything. I think he's fair in record in uh looking at oh he's getting frustrated or whatever in the Seahawks offensive line situation. He's got, almost been sat four hundred times in his career, which is on I think the most in NFL history or will be on pace to be sacked the most in NFL history. I want him to get more protection. I don't think he'll get traded. Uh, teams have called about Russell Wilson. Dan Patrick tried to fish about that. What do you think of the Seahawks taking calls for you? I don't. They weren't. People just called and asked. Like, they're not we're openly going. We're open to trading Russell Wilson. Give us your calls. At least I don't think they're gonna get calls about Russell Wilson. Like the the Lions' first trade request when they asked for, when they were trading Matthew Stafford and the Rams was Aaron Donald. Like. Are they going to go, well, the the Rams took a Aaron Donald question. They took a call on Aaron Donald. Does Aaron Donald about to get traded to the Detroit Lions? No. But they asked about it, so they got to answer the question. And they're going to say no. Same thing that happened in Seattle when they got asked about Russell Wilson. Great. There's a lot of NFL stuff. That can, there's a lot of quarterbacks that could be moving this offseason. A lot of them. There's a lot of quarterbacks, a lot of good quarterbacks. That could be moved this offseason. We already talked about them, but good Lord. If I had to make gut prediction right now, no notes, no nothing. If I had to go off what I'm reading, I would say Carson to DeBeas, 
if the Eagles can pull their heads out of their asses and stop going like he's worth three first-rounders or whatever they're doing, I think the Bears would like Carson Wentz from what it sounds like, and I think that's why they're getting frustrated because like, we want to do this, but you're being stupid. Stop doing that. Sam to the Colts. Sam Darnold to the Colts. Deshaun, I would hope he leaves Houston. Doesn't really look like he is right now, but probably to the Jets. I think Miami would be a lot better fit, but the Jets, if they can pile it, they have more cap space, more picks. If they want to do that, it could be a very logical spot for him to go, even though, again, Miami would make a lot more sense if you want to talk about a winning team now. The Jets do have a lot of cap space to bring in players. And Deshaun's cap hit, if I remember correctly, is not, like, astronomical, like Carson Wentz is going to be. It's not that big, thinking about it. I think it's, like, a $10 million cap hit. Maybe I'm wrong about that. I read something completely different, but... I would say he goes to either the Jets or Dolphins unless the Houston Texans just can keep being complete dickheads and just say, no, we're staying here. And then suffering with our third-round draft pick that we have in no cap space. So we're basically giving double bird to Deshaun Watson and making him try to play for David Coley. Maybe David Coley's a great coach. No one really thought insanely high of Bill Belichick when he got to New England. He just flopped out with the Browns. Like... I don't know. They maybe David Coley's a beast coach. Maybe he's an amazing head coach. I don't know. I think anybody wanted it. So like next off season, when these jobs become open, whoever jobs become open, you're gonna see Brian Dable, who won assistant coach of the year, unsurprisingly. Eric Bieniemy, Byron Leftwich, will get calls. Joe Brady from the Carolina Panthers will get calls for head coaching jobs in the NFL. Matt Eberflus. We'll get coaching jobs, or at least phone calls. Ryan Day might get a look in. Matt Campbell just signed a massive deal. Or an eight, uh, he's on an eight-year contract or something like that. I think it was a three-year extension or something like that to add it up to eight years. He's not going anywhere, but you can try, I guess. Unless Ryan Day leaves, then he's off to Ohio State, I would imagine. I'm not saying right now, but if Ryan Day eventually leaves, Matt Campbell will be trying, I would assume, to go to Ohio State. But I think he's... Liking what he's building over there up in Ames. But those coaches will all be looking at jobs next year. And I was kind of surprised Brian Dable and Biennemi didn't get jobs. But on the second hand, on the other hand, they're not, not a lot of desirable jobs other than Jacksonville, the Chargers, possibly the Jets. And all of those teams got really good head coaches. Urban Meyer, Robert Sala, and Brandon Staley. I like all those coaching hires. Eagles weren't desirable. Texans weren't sure as hell weren't desirable. The Falcons got a top head coach candidate as well, and uh, Arthur Smith. The Lions job, eh, kind of desire. I don't know. It was kind of up in the air. The defense sucks. There's more to build on in Atlanta than it is up in Detroit. Like the the jobs that are like questionable hires, like the Eagles, Texans, Lions. They're not very desirable jobs, so I'm not surprised that the likes of Beanie Dable and others either didn't say, just said no or didn't get hired. I don't know. They were obviously going to get hired because they're way more qualified than the other coaches. I'm more surprised Dable didn't get a head coaching job than Beanie, but I think Beanie might want that Chiefs job because it's like Josh McDaniels in New England. I think Josh McDaniels wants the Patriots job. From everything I can tell, it looks like McDaniels just wants to follow in Belichick's footsteps. Because he's seen what it's like outside New England and Denver in that brief, like, two-hour stint in Indy or whatever, however long it was. 
So I think he just wants to stay in New England, whether it's replacing Belichick or waiting till a couple years after Belichick retires and then the Nat coach gets fired. Because you never want to follow right after a legend. It, it hurts. It's very hard to do that. Very Not a lot of people succeed in following right after the legend, which is why it's kind of crazy. The Chargers got a quarterback that fast after their greatest ever quarterback left the team in Phillip Rivers. I know it's a different situation getting a quarterback from a coach, but kind of similar in the fact that you're replacing someone that is held in very high regard in the organization. But yes, crazy stuff's going to happen this offseason. Crazy stuff's going to happen next offseason. There's a lot of good, young-minded coaches in this league. We already talked about them all. Bienemy, Dable, left Byron Leftwich, Joe Brady, Matt Eberflus, they're all Kellen Moore. They're all going to be linked with jobs this offseason. This is up this next offseason. Whatever jobs come available, I don't know, but it will be fun to watch. The Washington football team's OC could be linked with some jobs as well. So time will tell. Time will tell. Jim Harbaugh is going to be linked with jobs, even though he just signed an extension with Michigan. I don't know. There's going to be a lot of fun coaching decisions next offseason. I don't know who's going to be hired, who's going to be fired, where. Do we see any one-and-dones? Like in Detroit, Philly, or Houston? Maybe. Jacksonville, if Urban Meyer's health doesn't continue. I'm not saying Urban Meyer's going to flop in Jacksonville, but will his health keep him in the game? Because I know that was a big reason why he wasn't taking any head coaching jobs after he retired from Ohio State for the second time in his career, after retiring from Florida before taking the Ohio State job. So time will tell. But there's some exciting coaches next offseason. And with this offseason, we released this on Monday. I'm finally getting a chance to talk about it now. It is Mock Draft 1.0. I know we haven't talked about this. I posted it the other day. So if you haven't looked at it, go and find it on the LoganBlackmanShow.com under the blogs page on the website. Go look at it on social media, on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, Snapchat, whatever. Go look at it. I'd greatly appreciate it if you looked at it. Because I put in a lot of time and effort into this stupid thing. It's a 47-minute read, so I don't care if you don't read it all. But just look at the picks and then tell me what you think about each pick. So I'm going to try and run through this pretty fast because we're at the 54-minute mark or something like that in the show. So I'd like to wrap this up as soon as possible. I'm not going to try. I'm going to, I'm, I'm going to try to shorten this up as much as possible. Part of me is like, Logan, let's just wait till the next show, but I want to talk about this now. It's eating a hole in me. I didn't think I would talk about as much stuff as I did before we got to this point, but I did. So I'm just going to talk about the the mock draft. TLBS NFL 2021 mock draft 1.0. Yes. Number one overall pick. There's no trades. I had trades originally in this, like Deshaun Watson getting traded. The Jets was one thing I had. They had the Panthers trading up in the draft. I had the 49ers trading up the draft. I had at one point the the Indianapolis Colts trading for Stafford. I almost deleted the Bears or the Colts in this, trading for Carson Wentz or Sam Darnold. But I didn't. I just brought it all back and said, no trades right now. It's too early to do trades. It's too early. It's honestly too early to be doing mock drafts. But we're doing it anyways because it's fun. Post-Super Bowl mock drafts, this is the first time we knew the entire order of the draft, 1 through 32. So I was waiting until all the order was solidified. And now we know it. Teams might try to trade back into the first round. Teams might try to trade out of the first round. Teams might try to trade back up. Whatever. Trading players. I don't know what's going to happen. For this one, we just kept it normal. 
So number one, Trevor Lawrence. Not a lot of brain power goes into that. Jacksonville will take Trevor Lawrence if they're sitting there. Unless Trevor Lawrence murders someone before the draft, he's going number one. He'll be throwing for NFL teams on Friday. So hopefully that'll be on TV somewhere because I will be attempting to watch that. I, I'm not really going to take anything away from it. I already know what he can do, but I don't, you don't take too much out of workouts. Don't read into too much of throwing in shorts and running in shorts and underwear. Don't look too much into that. If you do, I'm sorry, but look at what they did in college. Interview them. Know what person they are. That's how you decide who you want as a quarterback. Don't look at what they can do in their underwear. It's not crazy. Look at what they do when they're on the football field, what type of person they are off the field. Interview them, talk to coaches, players. The person, getting to know the person, is the main thing in drafting a franchise quarterback. Sometimes the quarterback's not mentally prepared to be an NFL starting quarterback. Ryan Leaf, Jamarcus Russell, Dwayne Haskins at this point in time, Josh Rosen. Like, there's quarterbacks that are not ready mentally or just haven't gotten a chance or whatever. To be a starting quarterback. You can't say dumb stuff like there were nine mistakes taken in front of me. Don't The NFL done messed up. You're not mature enough to be a quarterback in the NFL yet. Okay? Lamar Jackson was picked 32nd, one of the unanimous MVP, and said, oh yeah, just ready to work. You're going to get a Super Bowl out of me. Believe that. Like, be humble. Look at the type of person they are. Look at what they did in college. And then you draft them. Don't go off just what they do running around in their underwear. Number two, the Jets, uh, Zach Wilson. Uh, from everything I have read, listen to Daniel Jeremiah, Bucky Brooks, Dan Patrick, Zach Wilson will be the second quarterback taken in the draft. From what I can understand, at this point in time, now things can change. Apparently he's got character concerns, so that could be a big problem here. But if the Jets trade Sam Darnold, which I think is very likely, probably should happen, Zach Wilson seems to be going as a second quarterback in the draft. Do I think he's better than Zach, uh, Justin Fields? No. I think Justin Fields is better. I would draft Justin Fields. But from what I'm hearing, people like his arm talent that he has and his electrifying playmaking ability. So, now, a lot, of, And also, he didn't have a bad game last year. But he played against the likes of North Alabama. So I'm not really going to take too much into a he didn't have a bad game. If he had a bad game, he would be considered barely a first-rounder, okay? Justin Fields had bad games against very good defenses like Northwestern. Played very well against Clemson. I'm not going to look too much into the play didn't have a bad game thing. I love Justin Fields' mentality. I think that mentality could translate to the Jets with what Robert Sala wants to do. But if they feel that Jack Wilson is the second most talented quarterback in this draft, then they're going to take Zach Wilson, especially from everything I've been hearing. Zach Wilson's going number two, whether it be second pick in the draft or number two quarterback taken. And I know, I saw this on social media. People are comparing this to the Trubisky and Watson and Mahomes thing. Like, why would you take Zach Wilson over Justin Fields? Well, Zach Wilson is more talented than Mitch Trubisky. Zach Wilson does have more than one year of college experience. He did have starting experience before this year. Not to this level, but did have starting experience before this. He has a stronger arm than Trubisky. Like there's, it, it's not as insane as it sounds. I would still take Justin Fields, but that's whatever. Number three, Devontae Smith and the Miami Dolphins. 
If the Dolphins want to get the best out of Tua, get him people he is familiar with in Devontae Smith. If Tua stays in Miami. I also saw this. Aaron Jones, running, former running back at the Green Bay Packers, will be a free agent. It doesn't look like he's going back to Green Bay. Sign him this offseason. That should be another priority. Get Aaron Jones, Devontae Smith this offseason. I see that as an absolute dub for the Miami Dolphins. And it pains me to say that, but Devontae Smith and Tua would make it, it would be great. Uh, number four, this was my little shocker one, was Rayshon Slater going to the Atlanta Falcons. Now, this might seem crazy at first, but if you look at the Falcons GM, Terry Fontenot, he came over from the New Orleans Saints, okay? He was he spent 17 years there, six of them as the director of scouting, and one as assistant GM. In those years, as a scouting direct, director of scouting and assistant GM, Fontenot and the Saints drafted four of their five offensive line starters with their first pick. Okay? Four of five. Cesar Ruiz last year from Michigan, the first round. Eric McCoy from AM in the second round. Ryan Ramchick in the first round. And then Andres Pete in the first round as well. So don't be surprised if the Falcons take an offensive line here, offensive lineman here. Especially if the Super Bowls tells you anything. Build an offensive line. Get help on the O line. Look at the Colts with their O line. The Browns with their O line. Both playoff teams. Strong O lines get you playoff teams. Matt Ryan's been hit. 40-plus times these past two seasons, and the one spot on their O-line that's a huge question mark is that left guard spot. Now, if you look back on who Rayshon Slater is compared to, he's compared to Zach uh, Zach Martin a little bit. Zach Martin, one of the best guards in the NFL, if not the best guard in the NFL, behind Quentin Nelson, was Notre Dame's left tackle when he got drafted. Starting left tackle, transitioned to guard, became an all-pro guard, one of the best guards, if not the best guard in the NFL. Him and Quentin Nelson could be one and two. I don't care how you view them. But that's how I think Rayshon Slater could be viewed. If he wants to be a left tackle, fair play. I think he can do it. I think he's got great stuff as a left tackle. You can watch his film against Chase Young and see that for yourself. He's gone up against a lot of very good pass rushers in his time at Northwestern. But if he wants, if they feel like he should be better at guard, he would easily transition that with ease. Arthur Smith built a very good rushing attack in Tennessee. Now, they don't have a running back right now. I think they'll get one this offseason, whether that be Najee Harris in the second round or whatever, or Travis Etienne, whatever. Getting Rashawn Slater would severely help that rushing attack and solidify that offensive line, which has been a problem for the Falcons for a little bit. I know they they drafted two offensive linemen two years ago with uh, Caleb McGarry and... Um, or no, Caleb Lindstrom and McGarry. I can't remember his first name. The right tackle. But I would take Rashawn Slater. Unless you want to trade back, take like Sertan or Farley or Micah Parsons. That would make sense as well. But Or Quiddy Pay from Michigan. But I think looking at this, and I this is another thing. Like I said with Zach Wilson, listen to Daniel Jeremiah more than anybody. I know Mel Kuyper's on ESPN. Listen to Daniel Jeremiah. This is coming from someone that's followed the draft for years. Listen to what the NFL Network says. Mike Mayock before him. Listen to what they say. They're the most plugged-in people in the draft. Daniel Jeremiah was a former uh, scouting director with the Ravens, or was part of scouting with the Ravens. Listen to him. He's very well-connected with scouts in the NFL. He says Rayshon Slater is viewed highly, more highly in most NFL circles then Penny Sewell. Listen to Daniel Jeremiah in that. If you found this pick a little crazy, I hope that helped you a little bit. 
So don't be surprised if Rashawn Slater not only goes before Penny Sewell, gets taken by the Falcons at number four. I know it might be a little shocker to some people. Five, Penny Sewell. Bengals need to protect Car- uh, Dr- Joe Burrow. Easy, simple. I know Jamar Chase, Kyle Pitts will be very uh, talked about targets there, but it's got to be Sewell. They got to adjust that off the line. They got Joe, uh, not Joe Thomas, very similar Jonah Williams there. Get Penny Sewell. Got the tackle spot secure. Six, Eagles, Jamar Chase. Again, if they trade Dallas, or uh, Dallas Goddard, uh, trade Zach Ertz, Kyle Pitts from Florida will be a very logical pick here. But I think the Eagles need to address the wide receiver spot. If they don't, I don't know what they're going to do. They haven't been great at drafting wide receivers. They used to be. They got Deshaun Jackson, Jeremy Macklin. But now it's kind of like, why are we drafting J.J. Ortega-Whiteside and Jalen Rager over Justin Jefferson and D.K. Metcalf? It's very confusing stuff. Very confusing at the time. More so confusing for Justin Jefferson or Jalen Rager before Jefferson. Like, the Vikings were literally laughing at that. I was laughing at that when we were doing our Instagram Live thing. Take Jamar Chase and run with it. Get whoever your starting quarterback is a number one wide receiver. Because Alshon Jeffrey's been hurt the past few seasons. Jalen Rager was hurt all last year. Ortega Whiteside's too inconsistent. Was Travis Fulgham was the number one wide receiver this year? Like, get Jamar Chase for whoever your quarterback is. Even if you take the number seven pick, who I have the Detroit Lions taking Jalen Waddle, you'd be fine. Waddle's the most electrifying player in the draft. He's the biggest weapon in the draft in regards to return game and wide receiver spot. Can line up all over the field, whether he be in the running back spot as well. Slot, outside, punt return, kick return, whatever. Jalen Waddle is the biggest weapon in this draft. Lions have two wide receivers on their roster currently. Marvin Jones and Kenny Galladay are free agents, unrestricted free agents. So I guarantee at least one of them's leaving because both of them ain't coming back. If you get a guy like Jalen Waddle, that might want to convince one of them to come back. Maybe. More so Marvin Jones, if I could guess. I think Kenny Galladay would feel he's deserved more of a number one spot in his time in Detroit. Got hurt, didn't play a lot of games this year. But I think he'd fit well in somewhere like Baltimore or something like that. Be a number one guy for them, if he can stay healthy. But Jalen Waddle is an amazing player. He's a great leader, a great competitor. Someone that I think Dan Campbell very value here. And when he got hurt, he didn't opt out. He didn't say, I'm getting ready for the NFL like some players have. Even before COVID-19 hit, players have opted out. He played the entire season. And then Nick Saban said he'll play as much as he wants to in the national championship game. And though he was hurt, he still was used as a decoy and still made some big plays when he caught the ball. Jalen Waddle would be a great fit for that culture they're trying to build in Detroit. Now, I'm, I was stuck between him and Micah Parsons a little bit, but I think their need for a wide receiver, because again, they have two wide receivers on the roster. Jared Goff's coming in. You have two wide receivers and uh, TJ Hawkinson, who I love TJ, but... You got to get a wide receiver. I think Market Parsons make a ton of sense here as well. Quiddy Pay as well. But whatever. I took Jalen Waddle here and moved on from it. Eight, Justin Fields. Panthers are drafting a quarterback. They're linked with every quarterback this offseason. They were linked with Matthew Stafford. They're linked with Wentz currently. They're linked with Deshaun Watson. Like, they're taking a quarterback. Whether it be in the draft or free agency, if they don't, I'd be absolutely shocked. Steve Smith said Teddy Bridgewater is a great right-now quarterback. He's an expensive right-now quarterback, but a right-now quarterback nonetheless. Justin Fields 
in my opinion, is the second-best quarterback in this draft class. Carolina, if they took fields, it would be fun to watch in Carolina. You've seen the connection with him and Cam Newton and a couple videos from him being at Cam Newton's camp, Cam calling him the best player in high school football. That'd be really cool to see Justin Fields go play for the team that Cam Newton ran things for a while. Not in the NFL, but ran things in Carolina because, you know, the Panthers, my favorite stat in NFL history, at least one of them, is the Panthers never had back-to-back winning seasons. I think that's one of the craziest stats in NFL history. Never. The only franchise to never have back-to-back winning seasons. That is ridiculous. Maybe the Browns have too, the new Browns, but the Browns as a team, if we're looking at the whole history or if we're just including the now the new Browns, then yeah, sure, we can include them. But if you look at the full history of the Browns, they've definitely done that. But Justin Fields, I think, would be awesome for the Carolina Panthers and Matt Rule's style of offense. They went all defense last year in the draft. They're taking a quarterback with their first pick this year. They got Derek Brown and Jeremy Chin with their first two picks. They aced that part last year, aced it again by getting Justin Fields. And Teddy Bridgewater's there now, so you don't need to rush Justin Fields into the game if he's not ready to play. Number nine, I put Caleb Farley. I was stuck between him and Sertan here. Talk about Sertan in a wee bit. But Farley opted out extremely fast. He's got that NFL size corner, this cornerback size people are looking for now. 6'2", 200-plus pounds. Same with Sertan and J.C. Horn. We'll talk about a little bit as well and a couple other cornerbacks here. But I think the thing with Farley is that he's kind of new to this cornerback spot and still very good. That's a thing where, like, we can build here. Vic Fangio can build Caleb Farley into an elite corner, even more elite than what he is now coming out of Virginia Tech. I think that's very uh, appealing for teams in this draft. He's a former quarterback. He's a former wide receiver. He knows how to guard these positions. He knows how to read them. He knows all the pickup lines and everything. Farley would be very fun to tinker with for a good defensive coach like Vic Fangio. Though, Patrick Zertan had an amazing season this year, All-American, SEC Defender of the Year, all of that, I think Sertan's poten- uh, Farley's potential makes him more desirable at this point in time than Sertan, which might sound a little bit crazy, but I think that's how some people will view that situation for in this top two quarterback battle. So then Sertan goes number 10 to the Dallas Cowboys. Not too much to read into there. Cowboys lost Byron Jones. Last offseason of the Miami Dolphins, Dan Quinn comes in as the D.C. for the Dallas Cowboys. They're going to draft a corner. They got Trayvon Diggs, battled some injuries this year, but he was a very good pick in the second round this past year. Jordan Lewis and Jadobia Wuze could be gone in free agency. Both of them could be gone in free agency. So the Cowboys should probably address the cornerback spot. If they don't do that, don't be surprised if they go off at an offensive lineman. If Rashawn Slater's available... I could totally see them going after him. So the Cowboys do need some help on the offensive line with the health of their tackles, Lyle Collins and Tyrone Smith. Maybe they get someone in there. I don't know. Maybe Sewell, if he's available. Christian Derisaw, if he's there, which he will be there. But maybe they take him at 10. Maybe they trade back. But corner is a right-now need. I know the Cowboys are very good at strengthening strengths. So I could see them going after an offensive lineman. But... I have them going with Sertan here. 11, the Giants. I have not taken Micah Parsons, linebacker from Penn State. He's a do-everything linebacker. He would severely help the Giants defense, which had a pretty good year last year. Got Blake Martinez, stole Blake Martinez from the Green Bay Packers. 
Got James Bradbury from the Carolina Panthers last year, a good corner. They've got some good players on the defensive side of the ball, and Micah Parsons would help them even more on the defensive side of the ball. He has the ability to be, again, a do-everything linebacker. He's got the ability to be an edge rusher. He's got the potential to be that. Apparently, he's got an ego, which could see him drop a little bit, which is why I have him come in here at 11, but I don't think he slips past the New York Giants at 11. It would be very – and I they I know Dave Gettleman said they were going to get weapons for Daniel Jones, but they can do that later. I think now if Parsons available, they got to take Parsons. I was 50 – if if the Lions take Parsons, which I think is likely, the Giants will take Jalen Waddle. Okay, and vice versa. But I have it going Waddle the Lions, Parsons to the Giants. 12, I took Trey Lance to the 49ers. This one just makes a lot of sense. Uh, they're linked with QBs all offseason, whether it be – Deshaun Watson, Sam Darnold, uh, Matthew Stafford, Matt Ryan, Aaron Rodgers, Kirk Cousins. Like, they're linked with everybody. This is like one of those, if when there's smoke, there's fire type situations. There was a report earlier this offseason that the Niners are likely done with Jimmy Garoppolo or want to be done with Jimmy Garoppolo. But I think that this year will be his last year as a starter. I think they draft Trey Lance, sit him behind Garoppolo, do a little Patty Mahomes, Alex Smith thing, because like Alex Smith in Kansas City, the Niners look ready to move on from their current starting quarterback. And Trey Lance would be an amazing fit in Kyle Shanahan's offense. With everything that they do in that offense, Trey Lance would be perfect for this team. I would love to see Trey Lance playing at the Bay Area for Kyle Shanahan. I think it just makes too much sense with that. But Jimmy Garoppolo will be there this year as a starting quarterback. I'm fairly confident in saying that. 13... Kyle Pitts to the L.A. Chargers. This would get Justin Herbert another weapon. I know offensive line's a big need as well for the Chargers, but if Pitts is available, like, what are those unicorn tight ends? That's – it's not even compared to other tight ends. His his, uh, comparison I've seen is Mike Evans. He's not even compared to other tight ends. You can't compare him to other tight ends. Watch his game against Ole Miss and watch Kyle Trask and Kyle Pitts dominate – Lane Kiffin's defense. Dominate that defense. Kyle Pitts is an insane tight end. Matchup nightmare for every defense. Similar to that of Antonio Gates when he was playing for the San Diego Chargers. If Pitts is somehow available here at 13, the Chargers jump on that pick. Because Hunter Henry's looking to leave in free agency. He probably will leave in free agency. My gut says the Patriots will take him. But Pitts would be that guy for Justin Herbert like Antonio Gates was for Phillip Rivers. There's a chance Mike Evans leaves in free agency as well. So Chargers get more weapons for Herbert. I think this is a very beneficial thing for the Los Angeles Chargers moving forward. But again, Durasaw could be a, a pick here. Elijah Vera Tucker could be another pick here. Sam Cosme could be here. I don't know. There's a lot of different offensive linemen they could take. But if, if Kyle Pitts is available, I'm saying they take Pitts. 14, the Vikings, Gregory Rousseau from Miami, the edge rusher. Uh, after the Vikings lost to the New Orleans Saints, Mike Zimmer said this is the worst defense he's ever had. I think they addressed the defensive side of the ball. I know they did that a couple picks last year. I know they battled a lot of injuries, but their edge rush was non-existent. Nadeel Hunter will be back, but the Yannick Ngakwe thing did not work out. He's traded to Baltimore midseason. Gregory Rousseau is a very similar body type to that 
of Daniil Hunter and that very long, very strong edge rusher. Now, he opted out this year, but his last year finished 15 and a half, 15 and a half sacks, which was second in the nation behind, I don't know, Chase Young. I think Rousseau would be a very smart pick by the Vikings to help regain that pass rush because this division, let's say the Bears get Carson Wentz. You got it to face Carson Wentz, Aaron Rodgers, and Jared Goff, what, six times a year? You're going to have to get an edge rush in there. Now, obviously, off the line's a big need here, and the Vikings off the line is atrocious. But what position do you address here on the off the line with this pick? 14th pick. Do you go guard? Do you go tackle? Riley Reef had a great year last year for the Minnesota Vikings. Ezra Cleveland played mostly guard this year. He's a developmental tackle for the Minnesota Vikings. Took him in the second round from Boise. Very athletic tackle-guard combo. Do they keep him at guard? I don't know. Time will tell. They got Garrett Bradbury a few years ago. Do they go with someone like Darisaw here? Do they go with Christian Barmore, the D-tackle from Alabama? Time will tell. But I got him going Rosso with this pick. 15, Mac Jones. Makes too much sense not to happen for me. This is If you look at Mac Jones' draft profile, it reads pretty much the same as Tom Brady's. Not very athletic. Not that strong of an arm. But accurate. Did win in college. I love Mac Jones' attitude. I think that's the thing that kind of stands out to me a little bit as well, is that he didn't transfer when he had Tua Tagovailoa and Jalen Hurts sitting in front of him in the depth chart. He waited his time. And eventually that wound him up getting a starting job, going to a natty, finishing third in the Heisman Trophy race. Dude's awesome. I love Mac Jones' attitude. I know he's not the greatest athlete, but I like Mac Jones. I really like Mac Jones, especially this week after the Senior Bowl. He had a great week of practice. I know he didn't play in the game, but he had a great week of practice. I think this pick just makes too much sense not to happen. Patriots need quarterback. I don't know where they're going to get one because the free agent market ain't great for quarterbacks. They're going to have to trade for one if they want one. But I don't know how many quarterbacks want to go to New England right now. Matthew Stafford literally said, trade me anywhere but New England. Mac Jones would make a ton of sense for the New England Patriots. 16, Arizona Cardinals, J.C. Horn, cornerback from South Carolina. Yeah, Patrick Peterson looks to be gone, so might as well replace him. Get a guy like J.C. Horn. Again, like Sertan and Farley, got that size. NFL teams are looking for in the cornerback position. Six foot and above, 200 plus pounds. Really good corner. And I think he would help ease the pain in losing a guy like Patrick Peterson. Now, if they want to go with an edge player like Quiddy Pay or Aziz Ojolari or someone like that or a wide receiver, I know Larry Fitzgerald did not say yet he's retired or not, so you could go with like Kadarius Tooney or Rashad Bateman or crates like Tutu Attell or someone at well, like something like that. Or if Kyle Pitts falls, take him or an offensive tackle. I don't know. But I they need to get someone on defense because especially it looks like Patrick Peterson's gone. So get someone like J.C. Horn to replace him. Uh, 17, Las Vegas Raiders, Jeremiah Wosu Koromoa, linebacker from Notre Dame. Six foot one, 215 pounds. He's built like a freaking safety. Makes every play all over the field. Very similar to that of Derek Brooks, who John Gruden had in Tampa Bay. I, I love this fit for them. An athletic linebacker that can do everything. Raiders have had some struggles with the linebacker position since Mayock and Gruden have taken over. The Raiders love speed. Mike Mayock loves athletes. Usu Karamoa, Ka- Koramoa has that in bunches. 
I know Edge is a very big need for the Raiders as well, so don't be surprised if Quiddy Pay goes here. I really like Quiddy Pay, even though he didn't have the most productive year, but he didn't play that many games either. This dude is awesome. Safety playing linebacker. Derek Brooks style of linebacker. Devin White, similar style as well. John Gruden had Derek Brooks in Tampa Bay. Why would he not want someone like that in Las Vegas in Owusu Koromora? I would take him in a heartbeat if I'm the Las Vegas Raiders. 18 Miami Dolphins, Elijah Vera Tucker, uh, guard-tackle combo, played a lot of left tackle, played, ta- played tackle and guard while playing at USC. He figures to move inside to guard, so the Dolphins would have three very young offensive linemen starting for them. You got Austin Jackson at left tackle, Robert Hunt at right tackle, and then Elijah Vera Tucker would slot right into left guard. So you have a USC off the line on the left side of the O-line. So, I don't know. They need to get some – they're going to draft offensive players this year. I think that's fairly obvious, whether it be a running back spot here or if they go with someone like Penny Sewell with the third pick or Rashawn Slater and then draft Cadarius Tooney or Rashad Bateman or Tutu Atwell or Rondell Moore, Terrace Marshall. I don't know. They're going with someone like that here. But Elijah Vera Tucker – at this point in time, is the best interior offensive lineman in this draft. Go with him, or projects to be. Whether you view him as a tackle, whether you view Rashawn Slater, if we're going like both of them are interior offensive linemen, Rashawn Slater is the better prospect. But if you're viewing Slater as a tackle, Tarek Vera Tucker as a guard, the Tucker's the guard, then White Davis number three, and then the guy from Wisconsin, Whitewater's number four, or whatever. But best guard available is Elijah Vera Tucker for the Miami Dolphins. 19, Washington football team. Kadarius Tooney for Tony. I never, I haven't figured out how to pronounce his name yet. From Florida, he his draft stock has really upped since the Senior Bowl. Going against, like getting named MVP is a cool thing, or being named the best of something is very cool. It's another thing when you're named the best by your competition. He was named the best wide receiver at the Senior Bowl by the secondary that he was going against. That is a great. Uh, emphasis for how good of a player you actually are because my people that I was tearing up said I was the best and a lot of people around NFL circles I saw this update a few weeks ago said that they wouldn't be surprised if he was drafted in the top 16 he's a very versatile wide receiver total 120 receptions and just under 1600 yards and 12 touchdowns with also 66 rush attempts 580 yards uh, 21 yard, 21.6 yards per kick return, 11.3 yards per punt return, scoring a punt return. Dude can do everything at the wide receiver spot. The Washington football team, yes, could use some offensive linemen, especially if they lose Brandon Scherf, but they have Terry McLaurin, and that's it. Logan Thomas is there as well, the athletic uh, tight end. Get Katarius Tony or Tooney, and you have a very good two wide receiver tight end set right there. This is a very talented Antonio Gibson at running back. That's a very good skill position group. One of the younger, better skill position groups. I think that makes a lot of sense for the Washington football team. I think Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech makes a lot of sense here. Tackle prospect. We'll have the seat, but I think Tooney or Tony, whatever, makes a lot of sense for Washington. And I think because of how he played in the Senior Bowl and how not great Rashad Bateman's numbers were at Minnesota last year, we'll talk about him in a little bit. I think that's really upped his draft stock to become that fourth best wide receiver in this draft class, which is not a very easy thing to do because there's a lot of very talented receivers in this draft class. Number 20, the Bears, if they pick here, Christian Derisaw from Virginia Tech. Makes a ton of sense. Bears need help on the O-line. 
Kyle Trask is a very logical thing here as well. Maybe they can get him in the second round, though. The sixth best quarterback in the draft, which is not a slight on him at all. It's more of a compliment or a praise of how good the rest of this draft class is at the quarterback spot. Kyle Trask is a beast. He's got a great arm. can make every throw over the field. He's huge. He's not very mobile. He can do more things with the football with his arm than Mac Jones can, but Mac Jones outplayed him when they played in Trask his last two games, again, getting outplayed by Jones, and then throwing three picks against Oklahoma in the first half. It's not great for draft stock. But Derrissaw makes a ton of sense for the Chicago Bears. Get a tackle prospect in there. Get something on the offensive line and help fix your offensive line because that's where this is going to start. If you trade for Wentz, you're going to need an offensive lineman. It's your number one need. Maybe you could go with a wide receiver here. Maybe the picks of Derrissaw and Tony are flipped with Washington taking Derrissaw, Bears taking Tony because the Bears are going to need some sort of wide receiver help as well. But... They need offensive linemen. 6'5", 314, great pass protector. They need to take a guy like him with this pick. Colts, 21, if they have this pick. Jalen Mayfield is my pick here. He's a right tackle from Michigan, but you could slot him over. Uh, With the generation of the evolution of swing tackle in the NFL, it's a lot more common to see tackles transitioning from side to side. Like you saw Jedrick Wills transferring from a right tackle spot to a left tackle while playing for the Cleveland Browns. It was a right tackle at Bama, left tackle at, in Cleveland. You saw Orlando Brown for the Baltimore Ravens moving from right tackle to left tackle when uh, Ronnie Stanley got hurt. There's a lot of situations where that can happen. Jalen Mayfield, though a right tackle at Notre Dame, or at Michigan, can move to that left side spot because Anthony Costanzo, retired, had a very good career with the Indianapolis Colts. 6'5", 320. It's Jalen Mayfield's size, 15 starts against some crazy good pass rushers while playing for Michigan, like Chase Young, Yatera Gross Matos, two very high draft picks as opposed to like the grand scheme of the draft. I know Gross Matos is a second rounder, but still, seven rounds in the draft, you're an early second round pick, you're an elite pass rusher at the college level. Then Anthony Jennings, Jason Owe, who could be drafted in the first round this year. Shaka Tony, Terrell Lewis, Khalid Kareem, Khalid Kareem, Julian Akawara. There's Akawara. There is a lot of very good edges he went against in college. He's a beast. He also is on the youth. He's only going to be 20 years old by the time this draft comes around. And that's what I got Austin Jackson drafted. Youth and inexperience is actually a very big thing when it comes to the NFL draft. Austin Jackson got that. We talked about Caleb Farley earlier. The potential to build something there, and that he hasn't reached his potential yet, is very appealing to a lot of these NFL teams, which is why I think Jalen Mayfield will get drafted in the first round. And if he, if the Colts pick here by the Indianapolis Colts, if Christian Derrissaw is already off, is already off the board, but he's a beast. I think it makes a lot of sense for the Colts to take him. Twenty-two, Tennessee Titans, Quiddy Pay, Jadavian Clowney thing didn't work out. Quiddy Pay would fit right into that spot. They play a 3-4 defense, but he would slot into wherever. Edge rusher as an outside linebacker or put his hand in the dirt. He'd be fine with either one. He would replace Jadavian Clowney, and yeah, with ease. He's one of the best athletes from the edge position in this entire draft class. I think it makes a lot of sense. If he's available, I would be shocked if the Tennessee Titans did not take him here with the 22nd pick. They need help on defense. Their defense sucks 
which is crazy to think about with Mike Brable being a, a great defender in his day. But, yeah, they need to get someone on the edge. Quiddy Pay, if available, take him. If not, take Aziz Ojolari, who I have here, going to the New York Jets at 23. Jets, another team, struggled in the pass rush. Quinton Williams led the team in sacks, but he's a D tackle. Get an edge rush in your 3-4 defense. Now, I don't know if Robert Sala is going to keep the 3-4 defense or he's going to go back to a 4-3, which is what he ran in San Francisco. I don't know what he's going to do with that. If he's going to be entirely hands-on with the defense, or he's going to get that job, like, uh, what is it, export that job to somewhere else. Like Sean McDermott. He gave that job to Leslie Frazier, who ran the defense for the Bills this past year, or the past few years, ever since Sean McDermott's been the coach. So does he do that? I don't know. But Aziz Ojolari, whether you play the 3-4 or the 4-3, he can do either job, much like Quiddy Pay. Like, you don't really need to know what, like, Gregory Rousseau would do. The Vikings play a 4-3 defense. They're not switching up anything on defense. Whatever. He's got the length to do whatever. Both Aziz Ojolari and Quiddy Pay don't necessarily have the length, but they have speed and burst and bend like none other, and they will be very scary pass rushers, at least in the draft. Maybe they won't. Maybe there's a chance they don't develop. Everybody has a chance to not develop. Situation might not be right for them or injuries, whatever. But as we look at it now, these two are insane in regards to speed off the edge. Both of them can play in a 3-4 and a 4-3. Aziz Ojolari, though listed as an outside linebacker, put his hand in the dirt a lot for the Georgia Bulldogs. And out of all the other defensive line edge rushers in this draft, he, based off last year, was the most productive. He had eight sacks this past year. He will get drafted in the first round. He has been one of the guys that has been really soaring up draft boards recently. Beginning of the season, he was like a third, fourth-round draft pick. Now he's almost a lock for a first-round spot because of his speed, his burst, and all that stuff. If the Jets, if he's available for the Jets and Quiddy Pay is already not off the board, they're taking Ojolari. And the Titans, if Quiddy Pay is not on the board, then they're taking Aziz Ojolari. I'd be shocked if none of if if these two players are available, this is where they're going. Okay, I think it's pretty self-explanatory at this point. Those Pittsburgh Steelers, I have them taking Tevin Jenkins, another right tackle, much like Jalen Mayfield, but. Again, the swing tackle era, he can switch over to left tackle, I would think pretty fine. Alejandro Villanueva is an unrestricted free agent. Doesn't look like he's coming back, much like Anthony Costanzo with the Colts. Other, He retired. Villanueva is just a free agent. But they need to redress that. Need to get some help on the O-line. Mike Tomlin wants to reestablish the run. That's what he's always wanted to do in his time in Pittsburgh. Establish the run. James Conner, Benny Snell did not have the greatest years ever last year. That's because they didn't have a great run-blocking O-line. Tevin Jenkins was a part of an O-line that saw Chubba Hubbard rush for 2,000 yards and finish, what, first or second in the nation in rushing yards two seasons ago? He's a freaking beast. He's a freaking monster. Six foot six, 320 pounds. Great pass blocker. Great run blocker. And he'd fit perfect with what the Pittsburgh Steelers want to do, and that is run the ball a lot. Mike Tomlin's always wanted to do that. James Conner has shown the ability at times to be that kind of guy. Now, if they don't feel that, they can draft a running back like Najee Harris to fill that void of the big running back that Pittsburgh's been known for over the years. Now, obviously, Jerome Bettis is the main one, but Le'Veon Bell is a bigger back as well. 
I know he's a great receiver out of the backfield, but he's dude's like six foot two, two twenty. He's a big dude. Najee Harris, similar style of running back to that. But Tevin Jenkins would help a lot. There's some good tackles in this draft, but Tevin Jenkins, if he's here in the first round, the Steelers have to take him because of that need with Chris Alejandro Villanueva being a free agent and not having any offensive linemen on the roster to begin with anyways, this will help reestablish the run and help in the pass protection as well, whether you want to use him as a right or a left tackle. Swing tackles work nowadays. So more than ever, you people are raised or uh, taught to play both tackle positions. I know it's not nat might not be natural. Your footwork's all different and stuff like that, but they're taught both spots. There's a lot of versatility in offensive line nowadays, which makes offensive linemen even more valuable than even what they were back then, which is crazy to think about. So there's some legendary offensive linemen from that era of they were just sticking to one offensive line spot. Now we got versatility, which is awesome. Uh, Jacksonville at 25, Christian Barmore, their rush off rush defense sucks. Absolutely atrocious. They drafted C.J. Henderson and Kalevon Chison last year's draft. They go back to the defense again with the second pick. They're obviously getting Trevor Lawrence. With the first pick, you can go with someone, a weapon or an offensive lineman here, but their rush defense is atrocious. This past season, the Jacksonville Jaguars allowed 153 yards per game, which is third to last in the NFL. Also allowed 23 rushing touchdowns, which was fourth to last. Christian Barmore is a very good run stopper as well as a very good pass rusher from that interior D-line spot. He was the defensive MVP of the college football championship game this past year. So if I'm Jacksonville and I look how bad my defense has been since talking all that shit with Jalen Ramsey and A.J. Bouye and all those guys and see how bad we are now, I'd continue to try and build that defense. You got Henderson, Chison. You got Josh Allen there. Why not get a guy like Barmore to help fill up holes in the middle of the defense and help pass rush the passer from the middle of the defense as well? Number 26, Cleveland Browns, Zayvon, Ch- Zayvon Collins. 6'4", 260. Freaking monster at linebacker. Very similar to uh, Micah Parsons. Do everything linebacker that can also be deployed as an edge rusher. The Browns lost Christian Kirksey and Joe Schober in free agency last year. Did not replace them. Going into the season, they had the 31st-ranked linebacking duo, according to Pro Football Focus. They need to address the uh, the linebacker spot here. Whoever's available here. If uh, Coromo is available here, then easily take him. I don't see him getting to 26, but if he's here, good Lord, you sprint that thing to the board to the, the podium and get that pick in. But Zayvon Collins is a freaking monster. He's compared to the likes of Leighton Vanderush, who got drafted 18th, I think, in 2018, somewhere around there, minus the neck issues, very similar in size and stuff like that. Do everything guy that can deploy as an edge rusher, whatever you need him to do. Browns are going to draft a defensive position here, whether it be corner, edge, or linebacker, or even D-tackle. I don't know. But Collins and Cleveland just makes a ton of sense. Uh, 27 Rashad Bateman to Baltimore. Uh, Bateman's numbers last year were not great, but that's just a code, a tone to Tanner Morgan struggles and Muhammad Ibrahim dominating in the rushing attack this year. They ran the ball two, he ran the ball 201 times for a thousand yards this year. He played like six games, six seven games, still rushed for over a thousand yards. They only threw 184 passes. Ibrahim alone ran for 201 attempts. It's a big difference in regards to where they were last year. 
with Bateman and Brian Johnson being one of the best, if not the best, wide receiver tandem in college football last year. Obviously opposed to like Alabama and LSU, but one of the best. Like last year, he had 1,200 yards and 11 touchdowns. This year, his number of pass catches went down by almost half, 60 to 36. He could put a fourth of his receiving yards, 472 about, and then two touchdowns. He wore the number zero this year, which was, it's always been weird. It's weird seeing the number zero in football. I don't know if I liked it or not, but he's still a beast of a wide receiver. Don't let this down year fool you. Tanner Morgan did not have a great year. That was the main reason. That rushing attack was very good. And Minnesota just sucked compared to last year. They were playing Auburn or whoever they played. I don't even remember who they played their bowl game. They won, which was cool. If I remember, I don't, again, I don't even remember. That's not a great example, but Bateman and Baltimore will be a great, great link. Ravens need help out wide. Need to get Lamar Jackson some weapons. Get Rashad Bateman if he's available here at 27. Uh, could get an edge rusher here as well or a guard. Something like Wyatt Davis is available here. Go ahead and take that as well if you don't feel if you feel like you can get an Allen Robinson or Kenny Galladay or Chris Godwin in free agency. Go ahead and do that. But if you don't think you can, or even if you do. Rashad Bateman's going to be hard to pass on if he's available there at 27. Uh, Saints, Trayvon Mooring, safety from TCU. Best safety in the draft. It's not really that close. It's not a lot of great safeties in this draft, as opposed to, like, last year. You had Grant Delpit. You had Xavier McKinney. You had Jeremy Chin. Kyle Duggar. Other safeties that I just can't think. Antoine Winfield Jr. There were some good safeties in last year's draft. Very good safeties. This year, not so much. Trayvon Mooring is pretty much clear as far as the safety position goes as being the best one in the draft. I don't even know if he'll get taken in the first round, but the Saints need safety help. They're looking like they're going to lose Marcus Williams in free agency. They're going to be $100 million over the cap. So why not get someone like Mooring to replace Marcus Williams? And even if... You don't want to just replace Williams. Malcolm Jenkins is not going to play forever. You're going to have to replace him eventually. And again, Mo Riggs the best safety in this draft. You've got to take him. You could go with a linebacker if you feel that's necessary. Bolton from Missouri could be an option here. But Trayvon Mo Riggs, I think, makes the most sense for what the Saints need, especially dealing with their cap situation that is going to destroy them this season. I don't know. I shouldn't say destroy. That's a very that's a very extreme word. But it's going to hurt. It's going to hurt. Uh, 29, the Green Bay Packers. I'm giving their Eric Stokes, the cornerback from Georgia. He had the most action last year in regards to numbers given up last year. He had four interceptions, which was the most out of the big four of the past, the top three guys, like Asante Samuel Jr., Eric Stokes, Tyson Campbell, and Greg Newsom. Those are the four others past that top three of – Farley, Sertan, and J.C. Horn. Those three are like in another tier, and then you got the next four are in their own tier. And all of them might even be drafted in the second round. It was hard to try and figure out which one of them is better than the other ones. I went off the fact that Eric Stokes has really good size. as Like we said, he's a little skinnier compared to the other cornerbacks, like Horn, Sertan, Farley, who are 6 foot plus, 200 plus pounds. He's 6'1", 185. That's pretty still very good size for a corner in today's NFL. He can guard every receiver 
on the field, mostly be deployed as an outside corner. And last season, according to Pro Football Focus, he gave up a 43.6 pass rating when targeted in 2020 on 299 pass cover snaps. Stokes' longest reception allowed was only 18 yards. Eric Stokes is a very good corner. He's very fast as well, which is going to be very beneficial to a lot of teams. His ball-playing ability, his passer rating allowed, his speed, his size, that's going to be very desirable. I've said that a lot in this draft. There are certain measurables that people like that are desirable. Tyson Campbell, his teammate, did not put up the same numbers. I know there's he's bigger corner. A lot of people rank him higher. But I think we're looking at Stokes' Uh, what do you call it, production, you would have to look at him and think he would go here, at least to Green Bay. Maybe not to maybe not to Green Bay, but to somebody in the first round. They're losing Kevin King in free agency. I don't think the Packers really try that hard to bring him back. I think Eric Stokes would be a great addition here, and a lot of people are going wide receiver. I went through the history of the Packers, the recent history, and I don't know if that's going to happen because if you look at like, their history, Devontae Adams, Randall Cobb, Jordy Nelson, Greg Jennings were all second-rounders. James Jones, Antonio Freeman, third-rounders. Donald, Dr- Donald Driver was a seventh-rounder. Those are, like, their main wide receivers throughout this era of success for the Packers, as far as regular season success goes. The only ones that were drafted in the first round were Javon Walker in 2 the last time they took a receiver in the first round, and then Sterling Sharp in 88. They don't draft receivers in the first round. It's something they've never done. Drafted a lot. They held. They drafted a quarterback last year. Like they need to draft a wide receiver at some point, but I think you get that in the second round. There's going to be like Rondell Moore will be available. Terrace Marshall could be available. Tutu Atwell could be available. Now you might have to trade up a little bit to get one of those guys, but. You're not struggling for wide receivers if you don't take one in this first-round pick. You might not even be struggling for corner. The Packers could do a lot of things with this pick. Linebackers, corner, uh, off-the-line, wide receiver, anything like that. That's what they'll do here. I just put Eric Stokes here because I think it's the most immediate need for the Packers this upcoming season. The Bills, I put Najee Harris because I listened to my dad. I love Travis Etienne. I love both of these guys, actually. But I think Najee Harris' size is very, again, I'll say this word again, desirable. He's six foot two, 230 pounds, and he's a freak athlete. Watch him jump over the Notre Dame defender, which was went viral on Twitter like ridiculous amount of times, jumping over defenders. At 6'2", 230 pounds as a running back. He's a great pass catcher out of the backfield as well. 425 yards last year receiving, 1,466 yards last year on the ground with 26 rushing touchdowns, which led the nation. He was productive every single year, at Alabama, getting better every single year. Like He's an absolute freak. Travis Etienne, I think, is a similar mold to that of Thurman Thomas, which would be a great thing for the Buffalo Bills. I think Najee Harris is more in that mold. Not saying he's the same back. I'm not saying Travis Etienne is the same back as Thurman Thomas, but I think Najee Harris is a similar style back to that of Le'Veon Bell. When you look at the size and their pass-catching ability, I think they're very similar. Maybe not the patience that Le'Veon Bell had, which made him famous in Pittsburgh, but size and receiving ability, and even the rushing ability. Maybe, again, not the patience that Le'Veon had, but still, great running back in college. I think Etienne, I think the thing that also will help Najee Harris is that he was dominant all the way throughout. 
There was a couple of games where Etienne, and I don't like saying this because I love him as a player, was held in check a little bit, whereas Najee Harris was never held in check. Now, you can put that down to the wide receivers out wide taking the pressure off. The offensive line, which is the best O-line in football, the college football. You had a lot of people winning awards on Alabama's offense. But you still played the SEC. You still went all the way to the natty. And Najee Harris was damn near unstoppable, unstoppable the entire season. So I think that'll be a very interesting conversation for which running back goes first. I think it's neck and neck. If I was ranking them, I'd put them right next to each other because though Najee Harris is bigger, they're very similar styles. I think Travis Etienne's biggest uh, factor that he could go higher is the fact that he can split out wide. He can return kicks, punts. You do a lot of things. He's more versatile than Najee Harris. But, again, Najee Harris's size, along with his ability out of the backfield and his athletic ability, makes him very desirable. And he's going to be hard to bring down. 6'2", 230 pounds, running at full speed from the running back spot, will be hard to tackle. And the Bills, finishing 13-3, and we talked about this when they lost to the Chiefs. Lost is a nice way to put it, but they have a lot of needs. They need a running back, need some sort of running game. I know you don't. they don't need to have the best running game in the NFL. They have to have some sort of running game. They have none. Josh Allen is the only rushing attack the Bills have. And I love Javid Singletary. I love Zach Moss. But Najee Harris is a major upgrade on both of them. They could use with the guard spot. Their O-line is not that good. It's all right. But they're going to need to figure out what they're doing with like Mitch Morris. If they're going to have to restructure his contract. If they want to make, save space with the Cavs. He's the highest paid center in the freaking league. Tight end position, another position that could use an upgrade. I like Dawson Knox. He's a freak. He's a really good athlete, but inconsistent catching the ball the back out of the just catching the ball. Same thing with the running backs the Bills have. Not only are they inconsistent rushing the ball, they're inconsistent pass catching the ball. The Bills rarely use their running backs in their passing attack. Defense, they could use with the big beef in the middle of the defense. They could use an edge rusher. Could use some depth at corner. The only position they're not going to draft is quarterback, wide receiver, safety, and maybe linebacker. Other positions are fair game because Matt Milano is going to be expecting a little bit of money this free agency period. So maybe they may not bring him back. So maybe they're going to have to go after someone in free in the draft as a linebacker. I don't know. The Bills got a lot of needs for finishing 13-3, which I see only as a positive because – you finished 13 3. You, had this, you were the second best team in the AFC, and you've got things to work on, a lot of things to work on. That's positive, in my opinion. Maybe it'll hurt them. I don't know. But Najee Harris would give the Bills another option on offense, would make them even scarier than what their offense already was this year, which would be very exciting for Bills fans. I would not be upset with Travis Etienne here either. I flip flop between the pair of them the entire time. I think both of them would be great players for every team that needs a running back in the NFL. Uh, 31, the Chiefs, Alex Leatherwood from Bama. Similar to that of Elijah Vera Tucker and Rayshon Slater, he is one of the guys that is looking to be moved inside. He struggled the Senior Bowl, but people expect him to move inside. He's the Outland Trophy winner, much like Brandon Sheriff. Sheriff moved inside as well, became a first-team All-Pro guard. So getting told you're moving inside as a tackle is not as big as an insult as it might seem because tackle is a lot more desirable position you get paid a lot more money it's more of a glamour spot of the offensive line I guess you'd say but Leatherwood would be a big upgrade for the Chiefs you saw what happened in the Super Bowl 
Like, if we look at just the stats from the Super Bowl, I know they won't be facing a rush like the Buccaneers rush all the time, but Mahomes was pressured on 29 of 56 dropbacks. That's over 50% of his dropbacks, for those of you who don't do math. And that stat was even the most in Super Bowl history. Another crazy stat was that Patrick Mahomes ran for 497 yards trying to evade said pass rush, which is almost 500 yards, which was the most by QB all season. He ran for 500 yards in the game. In the game! That is crazy! And again, they're not going to be facing the Tampa Bay Buccaneers pass rush the entire season. But they need to address the O-line. They got to. I had Terrace Marshall going here first because Sammy Watkins is probably going to leave in free agency. He's a very similar style wide receiver, 6'3", 200 pounds, very fast, similar to that of Sammy Watkins. Hopefully not as injury prone for Terrace Marshall's sake. But, man, Alex Leatherwood, Wyatt Davis, whoever, the, the Wisconsin Whitewater dude, I don't know. I think they need to go after some offensive lineman in this draft and just protect Patrick Mahomes. That should be main priority. That should be main priority for all teams in the NFL. You can never not stop upgrading your offensive line. That's one of the positions you can keep upgrading, and it will always, always benefit you. Strengthen a strength. The Chiefs' O-line is not their strength by any stretch of the imagination, but strengthen it a little bit. Alex Leather would be a great pick for the Chiefs. And finally, number 32, I put Jalen Phillips, the edge rusher from Miami. Similar to Gregory Rousseau, big guy, 6'5", 265 pounds, length for days. Uh, they might lose Shaq Barrett this free agency period. He's due quite a bit of money, and the new cap is going to hurt a lot of teams in that regard. So the Buccaneers will have to pick and choose who they bring back. They may very well bring Shaq Barrett back. I think that would be very smart by the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. But if they don't, Jalen Phillips would make a ton of sense. Another experienced edge rusher from college. Now, the injury problems could be a thing that hurts Jalen Phillips' draft stock. He did retire from football two years ago. Like, officially retired from football. And then came back to Miami and put up a great year. Eight sacks, 45 total tackles with an interception last year with Rosso being out. I think he is one of the best edge rushers in the draft. But that injury thing while he was at UCLA could really hurt you. He had an ankle injury, a wrist injury from an off-field car accident, or an accident, no, I shouldn't say car accident, and a concussion. So that may hurt him, but I don't. I think if you look at his potential and what he did in college, it's going to be hard to say, yeah, let's not take him if he's available. You're going to take that risk. The Cowboys took a risk with Jalen Smith, and he's become a very good linebacker in the NFL. Sometimes you got to take risks, and it'll benefit you. If they don't bring back Barrett, get Jalen Phillips. Now Jason Oway could be a pick here. Uh, Carlos Basham, a more defense alignment edge rusher, could be a pick here. Uh, Joseph Osai could be an edge rusher here that they take. Uh, Davion Nixon could be a pick here. I don't know. There's a lot of things that could go on with the Buccaneers, but they won the Super Bowl, which is crazy to think about. And, yeah, they could be poised to make a run at it again. Uh, don't doubt Tom Brady. That's the main, the main story here. So just running through that again as fast as I possibly can. Trevor Lawrence won to Jacksonville. Zach Wilson, the Jets at two. Devontae Smith, Miami at three. Rashawn Slater to the Falcons at four. Penny Sewell to the Bengals at five. Uh, the Eagles slid Jamar Chase sixth. Lions take Jalen Waddle. Then we had the Panthers and Justin Fields at eight. Caleb Farley to the Broncos at nine. Patrick Sertan to the Cowboys at ten. Micah Parsons to the Giants at 11. 
Trey Lance to the 49ers at 12. Kyle Pitts to the Chargers at 13. Gregory Rousseau to the Vikings at 14. Mac Jones to the Patriots at 15. J.C. Horn to the Cardinals at 16. 17, the Raiders take Jeremiah Owosu-Koromoa. Jeez. Elijah Vera Tucker goes to the Dolphins at 18. Kadarius Toney goes to the Washington football team at 19. Christian Derisaw goes to the Bears at 20 with Jalen Mayfield going to the Colts at 21. We have Quiddy Pay going to the uh, Tennessee Titans at 22. Aziz Ojolari will go to the Jets at 23. Tevin Jenkins to the Steelers at 24. Tristan Barmore to the Jaguars at 25. Zaven Collins to the Browns at 26. Rashad Bateman to the Ravens at 27. Trayvon Morig to the Saints at 28. Eric Stokes to the Packers at 29. Najee Harris to the Bills at 30. Alex Leatherwood to the Chiefs at 31. And Jalen Phillips to the Buccaneers at 32. So going over the order again with the positions drafted, there are five quarterbacks taken, one running back, five wide receivers, one tight end, four tackles, three guards. That's including Leatherwood, uh, Farrah Tucker, and Slater, who are all tackles right now, but are projected to move inside. I just listed them as guards here for the sake of the team's needs. Four edge rushers, one D tackle, three linebackers, four corners, and one safety. So the only position that's not drafted is fullback and center. There's two positions that weren't drafted, kicker and punter, whatever. But, yeah, that's Mock Draft 1.0, and this show is long as hell. Good Lord, this is like the old Logan Blackman show. We're almost at two hours here, hour and 52 minutes. So what happens when you're having fun? And before we close out today's show, the Pakoda rankings came out, which is like the baseball's baseball's big rankings thing. We'll talk about that more in depth on Friday's show. But just to re, just to go over it a tiny bit, the division leaders projected are the Yankees in the AL East, Twins in the AL Central, Astros in the AL West, the Mets in the NL East, with the Braves finishing fourth. We'll talk about that on Friday. The Milwaukee Brewers winning the Central Division in the NL, and the Los Angeles Dodgers, unsurprisingly, with the best record in the Major Leagues, with 109.2 or 102.9 projected wins, winning the NL West. We'll talk about that more coming on Friday. Yeah, what a show. Long show. This is like old Logan Blackman show back again. One hour and 53 minutes. Good Lord, we're about to reach 154. I hope you enjoyed the show today. I sure as hell did. I think it was a very fun show talking about the Super Bowl, talking about quarterback trades and destinations, and going over Mock Draft 1.0. I truly think this was one of our better shows, though longer. I still think it was a very good show. Hope you enjoy it, and I will see you all on Friday. Hopefully, because I didn't see you on Monday, so hopefully I see you on Friday. With that being said, I'll just see you when I see you. Have a good rest of your day, and peace.